What does a wise person look like? What does a wise person look like? What does wisdom look like? Well, I imagine if we actually took a poll, we'd probably have all kinds of different examples about what a wise person looks like, about what wisdom looks like. But let's consider some examples that the Bible gives us of those that are wise. In Proverbs uh, 30, uh, verses 24 through 28, and you, don't, you can turn there, but we'll actually be at Proverbs 1, so you can stay where you're at if you're already at Proverbs 1 and just listen. Proverbs 30 says this, Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. Four things on earth are small, but they are exceedingly wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they provide their food in the summer. The rock badgers are a people not mighty, yet they make their homes in the cliffs. The locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. The lizard you can take in your hands, yet it is in the king's palaces. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't usually consider things like ants and rock badgers as wise creatures. Do you? I mean, you think about it. They're not very smart in the sense that they have no PhDs. They've not been to school at all. They don't have high IQs compared to the size of, and complexity of our brains. They're just pretty inferior. Nevertheless, uh, they're called wise here. They're not even human, for goodness sake. How can they be called wise? Well, they can be called wise because very often the way we define wisdom is not how the Bible defines wisdom. Very often we think about those terms, don't we? We think about education and about knowledge and about massive amounts of information that we have accumulated. And we say, well, that person then is wise in those areas. But what we need to understand is that biblically speaking, that's not what wisdom is about. That's not how they define it. The Bible doesn't define wisdom the way we normally think of According to God's word, wisdom is skillful living. It is living skillfully in this world. It does involve knowledge, but it is a practical knowledge that helps one know the right way to act and speak in different situations. Wisdom entails the ability to avoid problems and to have the skill necessary to handle them when they do present themselves. And so, yes, if we understand wisdom in that way, then these unlikely creatures, in fact, are wise because they live skillfully. Ants store away provisions. Rock badgers can hide from their predators. Locusts work together and maintain order. Lizards are persistent and tenacious. What about us people, though? I don't think anyone out here is a rock badger or an ant or a lizard, as far as I know. What about people? What does it look like for us to be wise? How do we gain wisdom? Well, no other book in the Bible is geared more towards giving its readers wisdom than the book of Proverbs. In fact, as we will see in a minute... The book of Proverbs was collected for the very purpose of encouraging and providing wisdom for God's people to live skillfully in God's world. Well, if we're going to look through a whole book of Proverbs, though, we need to understand what a proverb is, don't we? Well, we got a whole collection of them, but what are they? What are we supposed to do with them? Well, simply put, the proverb, that word proverb, just describes a certain literary form, just like poem or narrative describes a certain kind of writing style. Usually a proverb is a short, punchy, pithy saying that uh, describes some kind of insight or observation or gives some kind of advice that becomes properly accepted as general truth. We have these in every culture. In ours, one might be, look before you leap, short Punchy, pithy, making an observation about life in which advice is being conveyed. You should look before you leap. Biblically, when we look to the Proverbs, they're very similar except for this, and that is they are generally true statements about how life works in God's 
universe and God's universe. How we use them, how we understand them is dependent upon the right time and the right circumstance. In other words, what I mean by that is this. Proverbs are not case law. Proverbs will not be correct 100% of the time. They will not be true in every single circumstance. So for instance, take the modern proverb, he who hesitates is lost. He who hesitates is lost. We can think of all kinds of circumstances when that kind of advice would be appropriate. On the other hand, we can also think of occasions when we can say haste makes waste. Now which is it? He who hesitates is lost or haste makes waste? Well, they're both right depending on the circumstances in which you find yourselves. Depending on the situation, one proverb will be true, while the other will be not. In his book on reading the Proverbs, Trimper Longman tells the story of his grandmother uh, during the holidays, back when she was alive. And, and all the holidays used to be at her house, and she loved to cook. And if her kids were trying to speed things up because they were hungry, Mom, can we, uh, can we come in and give you some help? Grandma, can we give you some help? She would, she would shoo everyone out of the kitchen with the proverb. Many, uh, uh, she would make the, 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 with the proverb, too many cooks spoil the broth. And she would, she would get them out. What was she saying by that? I want to do things my way, in my time, and you're not going to mess it up. We get too many people in here, a disaster is going to happen. The kitchen is too small, it's not going to work. But then after dinner, after everyone's had too many, and, and guys are loosening their belts and everything else, and there's work to be done to clean up, then what would she say? Many hands make light work. You see, the different circumstances make the different proverbs ring true. So it's important that we understand when we come to this book, these are not laws. These are not promises. This is not every time this is true. No, it depends on the right circumstance and the right time and the right place. Then yes, this is how life operates in God's universe. So for example, in Proverbs 26, we read this, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. But the very next verse says this, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. On the surface, it appears to be a contradiction. In fact, in some books that seek to show the Bible isn't the God, the God's word, they will point to this and say, look at this, it totally contradicts itself. Well, you understand it's Proverbs. It's Proverbs. Both of these Proverbs are right depending on the circumstances. Part of being wise, no, part of being wise comes in knowing when to follow which proverb. There are going to be times when if you answer a fool in the same way that he is talking, you're going to be dragged right down to his level. Nothing's going to be accomplished. There are other times, so you don't say anything. And there are other times when if you don't answer the fool, he's going to go away thinking he's won, he, he's right, he's, he, he's won the argument. And so you have to step in, you have to get down on his level and say something to them. Again, these are not promises that work out the same in every situation. They are wives' observations about how life generally works in God's universe. And the more that we hear these Proverbs, the more that we understand them, the more we will be aided in learning wisdom for our own lives. So today... As we continue this series of messages seeking to, to have an overview of the Bible, we want to have our overview of the book of Proverbs this morning. In order to do this, we want to turn to the book's introduction, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Follow along as I read God's Word. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge, and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles, 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. May God bless the reading of His Word. Although Solomon was not the author, is not the author of every single one of the Proverbs, we know that because it will very clearly say the wise words of King Agur or something like that, and you've got you know, a whole chapter there. Uh, nevertheless, Solomon himself uh, would have composed, or at the very least collected, many of the Proverbs that are here together. And so that is why he has given pride of place uh, as the author of this collection here. Uh, at the end of the day, though, what we want to see is not so much who wrote it, but what is its intended effect. What's going to happen if you read Proverbs? Well, we'll what we want to see then is, are three things. So first of all, what we want to see is the benefits of wisdom. The benefits of wisdom. We see this in verses 2 through 3. If we read and we study and we hear the book of Proverbs, what will we get? Well, this is what we're told. We will know wisdom and instruction. We will understand words of insight. We will receive instruction in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity. These are all the qualities that the book of Proverbs is designed to impart to its readers. This is why it was written. And in many ways, what is described here is simply an expansion of this idea that's laid out first, this idea of wisdom itself. It's very similar to a prism that you might take and hold up to uh, the window today. And as, as the beam of, of light hits it, it becomes refracted into a multiplicity of, of uh, visible colors uh, that we, we call the rainbow. Uh, all of that is, a, is ultimately a component of sunlight. Likewise, all of these things are ultimately components of wisdom itself. They are all benefits that come from being wise. So what are these benefits? First, we are to know wisdom and instruction. Wisdom is the first and broadest word that is used here. And again, we, des- we described it as skillful living. Wisdom encompasses the combination of observation, obedience, careful planning, prudent conduct, and sensitivity to God's will that all goes into navigating life well. If, if, if we don't do these things, we're not going to be good at navigating life Wisdom is the one thing this book is trying to teach its readers. It has a primacy of importance by being being listed first here. Obtaining wisdom is the goal of life, and yet wisdom does not stand alone. Proverbs will teach us wisdom and instruction. And the kind of instruction here that it's talking about is not the kind that's simply found in the classroom, but the kind that is found in our mistakes. It's the kind of instruction that comes through correction and discipline. Now, if you've ever learned this way, and I think most of us have, you'll know that uh, it can be painful, both physically and emotionally, yet submitting to instruction and discipline will ultimately result in wisdom. That's what the author is saying here. Then we are to understand words of insight. Well, what are words of insight? Insight is the ability to look to the heart of an issue and discern the differences that are at stake between the choices that are being weighed. And so here what it's talking about is the ability that will be gained, is the ability to decide between two options that both have goods and bad consequences. Both of these choices look like they might be good. Both are maybe not be perfect. Uh, Which are you going to decide? How are you going to gain insight into this matter? The reality is in our lives, from every corner of society, from celebrities to coworkers to friends to neighbors to magazines we pick up, we get advice. We get advice on how to live our life. We are given words of insight that we must seek to understand. How are we going to determine which is the right advice? 
How are we going to understand which way to go and which way is not the way to go? I'm sure all of us can remember a time when we have received some bad advice. We've followed it and we've got burned in the process. Or perhaps you were given good advice, but you failed to heed it. You didn't listen to the good advice you were given and you got burned again. In both cases, we lacked the understanding of insightful words. We lacked the ability to discern which was the right way to go, whether the advice was good or bad. I can remember uh, when I was, before Melinda and I were, were dating when I was in high school, uh, there was uh, a girl that I was with and there was one particular night when my father sat me down and he said, uh, let's talk for a few minutes. And he said, let's think about what you have said, the direction you believe God has for your life. Where, where do you think God has called you to go? Well, uh, this is when I'm, you know, 17. At 15, I felt like God was moving me into the ministry, and that's what I was planning to do in college and everything else. And so uh, Dad is sitting me down trying to help me think through that. And the point of that was to say, look, your, the, the trajectory of your life does not match the trajectory of this young lady's life with whom you're with. In lots of different ways, morally, ethically, just, uh, just even where she wants to go and what she wants to do with her life. He, was, he had discerned what I could not discern, and that was her character. Well, what's a good boy to do? He should listen to his father, right? But I lacked understanding of insight at this point in my life. And so even though this is good advice, this is good and helpful and right insight into this girl's character in my life and what is the right decision, guess what I did? I rejected it. I said, oh, Dad, come on. You know, it, it's fine. It's going to be all right. I, I, you know, you're wrong. Well, I wasn't. He wasn't wrong. I was wrong. And the result uh, was much heartache and sorrow on my part. I should have listened to my father. I should have had understanding of the insightful words he was giving me. And the book of Proverbs says that if you study, if you hear, if you glean the wisdom that God desires to give you, you will have that. You will come to have understanding of insight. Proverbs will teach us wisdom, the skill of living. And part of that skill will be the ability to choose and understand right from wrong and the advice and insight that we hear. We will also receive instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity. Here we see that Proverbs will help us receive instruction in wise dealing. What is wise dealing? What is that? Well, wise dealing is the ability to size up a situation and act accordingly. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this word being used uh, both positively and negatively. Think about negatively, in some ways, positively for him, negative for his brother. In Genesis 25 through 27, we see Jacob sizing up the opportunities uh, before him, stealing his brother Esau's birthright and blessing from their father. We can think of other people even today who are incredibly adept at seeing the big picture of how things are going to work out. And so they act accordingly so that they come out on top even if someone else gets the boot even if someone else comes out at the bottom. But notice here that wise dealing is not, just, is not just a skill in and of itself. Notice it is governed by three things, righteousness, justice, and equity. Now you think about those three words and how they're used in the Bible, what we see over and over and over again is that these are three words that very often describe the character of God Himself and how He acts 
in creation and the lives of His people. These are all ethical terms. And what we will see as we trek through the book of Proverbs is that you cannot possess biblical wisdom without also possessing these virtues. Biblical wisdom is just not abstracted as being able to make good decisions. It is rooted in knowing the character of God and living out that way. So, for instance, Satan can be called in Genesis chapter 3 the most crafty or the most cunning creature in all of creation. But would we call him wise biblically? The answer is no, we wouldn't. Why? Because his craftiness, his cunningness is used to bring about evil. And the scriptures, that is the wicked person, not the wise person. The wise person is always on the side of God, always seeking to emulate Him and walk in His ways. This then is why Proverbs was written. This is what you will gain by reading it. You will know wisdom and instruction. You will understand words of insight. You will receive instruction and wise dealing and righteousness, justice, and equity. That's what the people who read Proverbs will get. But who should read it? Who is Proverbs written for? Here we see the beneficiaries of wisdom. The beneficiaries of wisdom. We see this in verses 4 through 6. Here we're told really who should read this book. This book was written to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Two kinds of people are said to benefit from this book. First, it is written to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Now, when we call someone simple, we mean stupid, don't we? I mean, we mean they lack common sense. They're, they're dumb. They're numb nuts, okay? They're, they don't know what's going on. Okay, uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't form a, a line at a bus stop, all right? They're just simple-minded. But that's not, what the, that's not how uh, Scripture uses that word. It means rather not that they lack intelligence, they just lack instruction. They are naive. They are easily influenced and readily seduced by what is going on around them. That's one of the reasons why they're described as being like youth. Now, youth, no... No harm intended here, no, no, nothing, uh, no put down here. But, but at, at the stage in your life, you are much more malleable than, say, someone my age or someone who's 50 or someone who's 70. The, people, the person who's 70 has been there, done that, got the T-shirt. They're pretty much set in their ways. They're going. They, 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 they've learned to watch out for, uh, for, for, for what's going on. They've, by and large, learned to discern this is good advice, this is bad advice. But when you are young, you've not learned that yet. And so you are easily influenced by all kinds of things around you, both good and bad. And so the book of Proverbs here is a saying that you especially need to listen to what's being said here. You need to pick up this book and you need to read it so that you will not be uh, conformed, in Paul's words, to the image of the world. Instead, you will have the kind of wisdom and prudence that God desires you to have. Now, you understand that this book is, is written for not just young men, but for young women. Nevertheless, uh, in the original context, it's being put together for a young man from his father. And so, what's going to appeal to young men? Besides food and sleeping in, it's women, right? Yeah? I mean, let's just be honest, okay? When you're young, 
There's things going on in your body that are exploding everywhere and you're noticing more than anything else the women that are there. And so if the father is putting these two walks of life into this kind of perspective. There is a woman that is pictured here called woman wisdom and she is calling out to young men. Women or wisdom cries aloud in the street, in the markets. She raises her voice. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gate, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. And you go to the the, 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 the last part of the introduction, chapters 8 and 9 especially, you see woman wisdom is this beautiful woman who's offering you. She's offering herself to you. She's offering godliness and, and walking well according to God's word. But there's also the voice of another person. There's the voice of another woman calling out to the young, wanting to influence them. Woman folly, we read, is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Woman wisdom is put together. She's, she's beautiful, she's gorgeous, but, but she's covered up. She, she's appropriate and she's offering something good to the young men. And yet here is woman wisdom pictured more or less as a prostitute. Immodestly dressed, letting it all hang out saying, come on, come on and indulge with me, indulge in evil. That's very tempted to on the surface see what looks appealing and go for it. But hear what... The father is seeking to tell the young man is that between these two women, wisdom and folly, there is a great difference. There is a great difference. There is life answering the call of one and death answering the call of another. Whether young in years or simply untrained in the way of wisdom, let those who are simple listen to the call of wisdom, not folly. Those of us that are here this morning, perhaps, perhaps again, not, not young in terms of years, but young in terms of your life of faith with God. The book of Proverbs then is for you to help beginning to teach you wisdom, how to live and not fall prey to the death that awaits folly. Follow wisdom's voice, pursue her, and you will gain prudence, knowledge, and discretion. But what about those of you that are older? Not just physically older, but also more mature in the sense that you have already been walking on wisdom's path for many years. What about you? Wisdom is presented as being something especially needed for the simple, for the untrained, for the young. But what about those of you that are more mature? What can be gained by you? By reading Proverbs. Verses 5 through 6 say this, Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. Now I have done, uh, you know, by way of complete openness here, I have never done any kind of rock climbing at all. At all. Okay, it might be fun, but I know anything about it. I read about a lot of different things. And one of the things I've read about is rock climbing. And apparently, if you hike and climb in the Grand Tetons, there are certain trails and certain climbing sites that are designated for beginners. 
And it says, you know, if you're just starting out, you don't really know what you're doing, you want to have some fun, go down this trail. But then apparently there are other trails, there are other climbing sites that simply boggle the imagination. You're looking and say, who can ever climb that thing? And it's for the most experienced climber only. Only they would even think about attempting to scale such a thing. Likewise, wisdom here offers different heights to pursue. The reality is no one ever attains the full measure of wisdom. There is always room for improvement. These verses suggest that while you may be wise, your ability to navigate life well can be honed and sharpened. You can move beyond the basics to understand the more difficult proverbs, sayings, words of the wise, and their riddles. These words all refer to those teachings that do not address the issue straight on but force the learner to think through what is being taught. There's something of a, of a mystery there. There's something that you have to, to stop, you have to think about, you have to ponder, you have to chew on. You have to read the rest of God's Word and begin to, to, to think about what is being taught there. You know, there is a disease that is rampant among many of us today, and it's not swine flu. Uh, it's, it's, maybe you've heard of it. It's called the all, I Already Know It-itis. Are you familiar with this disease? A lot of people uh, have it. Uh, Maybe you have it here this morning. The mindset that many of us take is that we know a little bit of something and then then someone wants to tell us some more and we say, yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, let's just move on. I don't need need to hear any more, let's just move on. That's called pride and that's a subject for another sermon. But my point here is to say Proverbs will not let you get away with that. Proverbs will not let you, will not let anyone come to it and say, oh yeah, I already know this, I'm moving on to the next book. No, from the simplest to the wisest, everyone can benefit from this book. It is meant to give wisdom to those that do not yet have it, as well as sharpen the skills of those that have been in school, in the school of wisdom for years. And so how do we, how do we gain this? Frankly, at the end of the day, we just pick up and we have to read the book of Proverbs. Okay, we, we ha- you actually have to, you have to actually turn the pages and stop and think about what you're reading and actually read the book. Now, you know, uh, lest somehow an exhortation from your pastor to read the Bible is not enough, you can point to, we can point to all kinds of very godly Christians who make it a daily habit to be in the Proverbs. I just read this past week. Billy Graham read the Proverbs, reads the Proverbs, I don't know if he still is or not, but every day he would read one chapter of Proverbs. And certainly I don't think we stand at the, the center or the apex of God's plan, but it is very convenient for us that there are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, one for each day of the month. So, so what day is it? It's the 20th day of the month, you open it up and you read chapter 20. Tomorrow's the 21st, you open it up and you read chapter 24. It's pretty easy just to, to get in and dip into Proverbs, especially once you get into chapter 10 on. It's pretty much like a verse and a click and that's it. The first nine chapters lay a broader foundation that we're going to talk about in a minute, but it's very easy just to dip into the Proverbs and little by little begin to soak up its wisdom. And the reality is, unless you do that, you're not going to gain the wisdom of this book. You're You're not going to learn as quickly. You may even be stunted permanently in your growth and your ability to navigate life well. Well, the last thing that we want to see, we saw the benefits of wisdom, the, the beneficiaries of wisdom, and now we want to see the beginning of wisdom. The reality is, though, if you just open up chapters 10 to 31 onward, um, you're not going to find a lot of explicit mentioning of God in the book. And so people will, you know, have asked, where is God in Proverbs? What does this have to do with the rest of the Bible? Some people who are not even Christians, who don't even believe in God, they still like the book of Proverbs because it seems so disconnected from anything involving faith. 
But again, you have to remember the book has been composed as a whole. In chapters 1 through 9, there is a larger foundation of the book. And these first seven verses serve as the introduction to all of it, both for that foundation and for all that comes. When you read not only these verses here, but all of chapters 1 through 9, what we find laid at the bottom of all that Proverbs says, what we find at the foundational level of all of the observations and instructions and guidance on wise living in this world is this premise in verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Elsewhere in the book of Proverbs, in fact, several times, and even in some of the Psalms, we find the similar phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Both of these words are are interrelated closely. You won't be wise without gaining knowledge of what wisdom is. And so in some ways, the words are used uh, interchangeably. The, The point, though, here is that as we read the rest of these, uh, as we read the rest of the Proverbs, true wisdom is not gained apart from a right relationship of the God who gives wisdom. You need to understand that. True wisdom will not be found apart from a right relationship with the God who gives wisdom. Thus, this idea, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge, it becomes the controlling principle for the entire book of Proverbs and our entire pursuit of wisdom. So that begs the question, what does it mean to fear the Lord? What does that mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? Well, the word fear in Hebrew, the original language that the Old Testament's written, that word can mean anything from respect or awe to complete and utter terror depending on how it's used. That, the, just like the word love, you know, people will, will get caught up and say, well, this word for love is, means this only. Well, that's just not true. I mean, we use the word love a lot of different ways. Uh, words and what they mean are based on context very often. The basic premise here is to stand in the fear of the Lord is to place ourselves in a position of humility in a place of subjection and uh, subservience to the Lord. We are acknowledging our dependence upon Him. We have come to grips with the fact that there is no true knowledge without reference to Him. If we know something, it's because He has given it to us. He has allowed us to know that. He is the source of all knowledge and wisdom. So if we have knowledge, if we have wisdom, it has come to us from the hand of the Lord. I think with all this in mind, I think D.A. Hubbard offers the best explanation of what it means to fear the Lord. He says this, Fear in this context is best understood as reverent obedience. Although it includes worship, it does not end there. It radiates out from our adoration and devotion to our everyday conduct and sees each moment as the Lord's time, each relationship as the Lord's opportunity, each duty as the Lord's command and each blessing as the Lord's gift. It is a new way of looking at life and seeing what what it is meant to be when viewed from God's perspective. So to fear the Lord is not a right method of thought. It's a right relationship. It is worshipful, humble submission to God by faith. By faith. This is why in Proverbs 3 we read this, Trust Trust, that is put your faith in. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. 
Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That doesn't just mean it's something you start with on your journey and then you leave behind. It's not the beginning in that sense. No, it's the beginning in the sense that it's the first thing laid down. It's the very foundation of your pursuit of wisdom. All the wisdom you will ever have is built upon your knowing and trusting the Lord. More than that, the Bible makes it clear that Jesus Christ is the very embodiment of God's wisdom. You think about when you look to when you look to the gospel narratives, uh, they go, uh, they make a, a plain point of showing that Jesus himself is wise. In fact, even his teaching style, the use of the parable, is a characteristic of wisdom teaching. And if there's any doubt when we get to Paul's writings in Colossians 2, he, he is very specific on the matter. And he says that in Christ we find all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And it's precisely in this fullness of God's plan in Christ that we see the fullest meaning of this verse. To fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Because what does the second part say? Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Even what God reveals to be wise, fools will reject. Fools will not take in. And this is most clearly seen in Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says this. The word of the cross is folly. It is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Who is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks demand wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Greeks. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Paul is saying the most foolish thing in the world's eyes seems to be the cross of Christ. Why would the Lord of all creation allow himself to be hung up there like a criminal on a tree? Furthermore, how does that save anybody? How does that bloody cross save anybody? And yet what Paul says is most foolish to the world is the very wisdom of God. In wisdom, God shows how the wicked might be made righteous before him. With wisdom, God provides the perfect means by which we might be reconciled to him. With wisdom, God sends his son to die on a cross, taking the punishment sinners deserve so that sinners might be reconciled to him. In every way, Christ is the very wisdom of God. And for those of us that would turn to faith in Him, that would turn to God through Christ, then He is our wisdom as well. When I was in Cub Scouts, we were once on a camping trip. My very first camping trip, actually. And it was at the scout leader's farm. And uh, the scout leader, had, it was on his, actually his uncle's farm. And um, uh, one of the uncle's sons brought out a horse 
uh, to let us ride. No, now, we were all, you know, I guess probably third grade, maybe fourth grade. We were young. Uh, none of us had ridden a horse before. And so uh, we were helped up onto the horse. And then the son would actually, you know, lead the horse around and tell us about horse riding, about how to sit and you know, how to stand and everything else. Sometimes he would jog and give us a little trot and everything. And it was, for the first time on the horse, it was fun. But the, the Cub Scout leader, he had grown up on farms. He knew how to ride horses. So after we had all had our turn, he said, come on, give me that horse. And he jumped up there, went, ha, and kicked that thing, and they just bolted off running. And we were all like, yeah, that's cool. You know, why can't we do that? You know, well, what we learned later is that while he knew how to ride horses, he didn't know how to ride that horse. You see, every horse, from what I understand, has its own personality. And in fact, as he was wanting to basically kind of gallop a little bit, when he said, yeah, this horse went off at full speed, full as hard and as fast as a horse could run, it was running, and he couldn't stop it. He was pulling back on the reins later. He told us, yelling, whoa, 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 trying to do anything in the world. And this horse was just running as hard, as fast as it could, right for the woods, the tree line, the very thick tree line. And as Doug, the scout leader, is thinking, he's like, I'm going to have to jump off this horse. I'm going to get killed. Well, eventually, he got to slow down and, and turn away. But, you know, frankly, that's how we live life a lot of times. We think, hey, I got this thing set. I know what I'm doing. I, I, I'm wise. I've been there. Done that. And, and, and we hop and whatever it is, and we just tear off into life, and we have no idea that we are running right for the tree line. We are headed full speed right for destruction because we are not wise. We are foolish because we have not sought the wisdom of God. In our prideful arrogance, we think we have enough wisdom to navigate life's up and downs, and we fail miserably at it. And here, the reality is, whether we're young in life, or uh, it's just f- unfolding in front of us, or whether we're a seasoned veteran, we all need to grow in wisdom. Not just any wisdom, not just Oprah wisdom, not just People Magazine wisdom. We need to, we need to grow in God's wisdom. Every day we are faced with a choice. We either follow the voice of folly, either our own or the folly of others, or we follow the voice of wisdom, the voice of God himself, who says, come and learn from me and live. Ultimately, the choice between wisdom and folly is the choice between life and death. Therefore, we must remember the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Let us then humbly and willingly go to the Lord through faith in his son, Jesus Christ, to find the wisdom that he freely offers. Let's pray.